Today on The Girl Defined Show, I get to talk with my new friend, Abby Halberstadt. She's a mother of 10 kids, and get this, she's only 40 years old. Yes, you heard that right. You may know her by the name M is for Mama. She has a really popular website and Instagram account and just came out with a brand new book titled M is for Mama. And she's passionate about helping Christian moms everywhere rebel against mediocre motherhood. And in my conversation today, we get all the goods from her. She shares what a day in the life for her looks like with 10 kids, how she prioritizes her marriage with her husband and still makes date nights happen on a weekly basis. She talks about how relatability isn't the gold standard for motherhood, but if you look on social media, that's what we see. She shares why we need soul care over self-care, how to approach motherhood with the same ambition as any professional career, and how we as moms can look to scripture to guide our mothering and so much more. Hey, sisterhood, it's Kristen here, and I'm so glad you're joining me for this special episode. This is going to be fun. If you're new here, welcome. I'm so glad you're here as well. Uh, you'll learn, you'll quickly learn that our passion here at Girl Define is to help women everywhere, including ourselves, learn what it means through God's word to be women who are defined by God, girls defined by God rather than girls defined by the world. And God's word has wisdom and truth to offer us in every area of our lives. He's our designer, therefore he's our our definer. He is our father, our creator, and his plan for our womanhood is so beautiful. And that includes his plan for motherhood. And he has beautiful scripture and truths and wisdom for us in how to be God-defined moms, moms who pursue God's word and say, God, what do you say is successful? Um, What do you value in motherhood and family? Lord, help my desires, my worldview, what I view as success, help that to be in line with your word, to be rooted in your word and coming from a scriptural, biblical, gospel-centered lens. And that's exactly what what we're going to get today with Abby Halberstadt in my conversation with her. But if you're single or unmarried or married and you don't have kids, I encourage you to stick around because if you think there's ever any possible chance in your future that you will ever become a mom someday, then why not gain wisdom now? Why not understand how to think biblically about motherhood before you even get there? Or if you're someone struggling with infertility, my heart goes out to you. I am still in a season of infertility. I have two precious adopted kids that God has given my husband and me, and they're the greatest gifts in our lives. Um, but still, I've never been able to conceive and have um, a biological child, health, you know, healthy pregnancy, multiple miscarriages. And so I get it. I get that pain, and my heart totally goes out to you. Um, but something I think you may even find valuable, or someone else listening, if you're like, I don't know if I'll ever have kids, I don't know if I'll ever get married, is that learning a biblical framework for for motherhood, having a biblical understanding. It's not just necessary for your own kids, but think about how you interact with other people's kids, with a sister's kids or a friend's kids or anyone else's children. Having a biblical understanding can help you in the way that you view them, in the way you interact with them, in the way that you may have the opportunity to even disciple them, to impact their lives for Christ as you point them back to scripture. And so I think this conversation is really valuable for everyone. We all need a biblical framework when it comes to motherhood, whether we are moms or will ever be moms, um, because it's important in how we view this and how we treat other moms and how we interact with other kids. So this is really for everyone, not just for moms. 
But I do want to say, if you're not in a season of being a mom or you don't think that's coming anytime soon, then yes, of course, buying Abby's book is still going to be awesome. But I think something that might be more relevant for you right now, um, and really, even if you are a mom, this book is really relevant for you too, because it's all about laying a foundation for what biblical woman hit is. What is biblical womanhood? How do we live it out in this modern day and age? And that is exactly why Bethany and I wrote our first book, Girl Defined, and it's all about um, God's design for beauty, femininity, and identity, understanding biblical womanhood, understanding what God says about women, how he defines us, how we so often get our definitions, our view of success, our purpose as women, our identity as women from the world, from our own desires, from things that aren't even biblical or scriptural. And so our book, the goal in our for ourselves as we continue to grow in understanding God's design for womanhood is that we can encourage the sisterhood as well to say, God has a beautiful plan, a better Way. There is so much freedom as we surrender every area of our womanhood to God and we say, God, you are my creator. You know what's best. You are the king. You are my father. Help me to humble myself and to look to your word for truth, for answers, to define who I am as a woman. And when we have that heart of surrender, when we grow, and we understand and we learn about who God created us to be as women defined by him, then it's in that that I think will truly thrive in ways that we never, ever had before. So please grab a copy of Girl Defined, God's Radical Design for Beauty, Femininity, and Identity. I don't care if you get it free from your library, if you borrow it from a friend, if you get the audiobook, or if you just go to Amazon and order a copy or get it from our website at girldefined.com. I think you will find so much benefit, whether you're single, dating, engaged, or married from having that foundational understanding of what it means to be a woman defined by God in every area of your lives. And it's also just a really fun read. I think you'll laugh and cry. We get really real, really honest. We had a lot of fun writing it. I think you'll find it kind of entertaining as well. Okay, so grab a copy of Girl to Find. And then if you are in that season of motherhood, definitely get a copy of M is for Mama, A Rebellion Against Mediocre Motherhood. Okay, let's dive in to my epic conversation with Abby. Abby, welcome to the Girl Defined Show. Thanks so much for having me. I am pumped to chat with you. I have so many questions and we're going to get through as many of them as we possibly can. But before I get into your book and why you wrote it and all of that good stuff, I know people are going to want to know a little bit about you. And obviously having 10 kids is a pretty unique thing in this day and age. I'm from a family of eight kids, so it's not shocking to me. I'm like, oh yeah, 10, eh." you know, it's kind of normal, but that's not really how it feels for most people. So I'm curious, and I know a lot of our listeners will be too. Did you always want to have a big family? Did you get married wanting to have a big family? Did you grow up in a big family? Give us a little bit of that background and kind of where that came from. Yeah, those are the most common questions that I get asked for sure. So people assume that I usually come from, or people usually assume that I came from a big family. I just have one older brother and people are really shocked. I don't know why that's so shocking that your life could look different than the life that you grew up with, because that's going to be true for so many people. But um, they're like, oh, no way. And then people have the same question. Did you always yearn for this? This is something that you were shooting for. This was a goal of yours. Because I do know people that have very specific kid goals in mind, whether it's Mm -hmm. two or 12 or anywhere in between. And the answer again is absolutely not. I am kind of an unlikely mom of many in that I really wasn't a very nurturing motherly sort when I was younger. I was athletic. I was academic. I was all about, you know, running and jumping and um, 
spelling bees. I was homeschooled growing up. So we had a lot of opportunities contrary to what people think for socialization because we had more time to do it. And Mm -hmm. so uh, just involved in a lot of different things, just always kind of going and doing and um, having a lot of different interests. But I wouldn't have said that kids were necessarily even hardly on the list. What? Yeah. I didn't dream of being a mother one day. I didn't. I mean, I assumed I would be. I wasn't opposed to it. It wasn't um, a negative connotation for Mm -hmm. me at all. My own mom is fantastic and I have a great relationship with her. And I definitely grew up hearing that children are a blessing, hearing a biblical view of children. And I think that's where the conviction to leave an open-handed view of fertility of the ultimate number that the Lord would give me came from Mm -hmm. is that my mom and my dad both um, desired whatever the Lord had for them. And he had two kids for them. They never made any attempt to keep from having children. Um, And my mom experienced a lot of miscarriage and a lot of loss and a lot of secondary infertility after she had me and my brother. And so her story is very different than mine. And maybe subconsciously I had in my mind that my, my story could end with one or two or three kids because that's what my mom had happened with her. Um, and the Lord just had something completely different in mind, obviously. And I'm so grateful for that. But if you had told 16 year old me who already had that conviction that, um, that I wasn't interested in hormonal, hormonal birth control, that I wasn't interested in, um, IUDs or, or other kind of devices that could do things to my body. Cause I'd done some research on that and had been taught about that growing up, mm-hmm. that those were, medically untenable for me, but also that I had the conviction that the Lord was to be Lord of all aspects of my life, not just my education, not just my finances, not just who I would marry, not just what I would do for a living, but that my womb was also his. And so, um, and yes, as a 16 year old, like I definitely didn't have a lot of people relating to that, but it was just such an abstract thing because I wasn't sexually active. I wasn't married. You know, I didn't know what the Lord would do with my body. So if he had just mm-hmm. kind of laid it out for me and thank God that he doesn't, thank God that he doesn't give us exactly what's going to happen in 10 years. Cause I think we would run from so many of the things that he uses to shape us and to grow us and to sanctify us and to bring us joy that we wouldn't have chosen for ourselves. Um, so that's, that's kind of my story is that I, I yeah. really wasn't shooting, aiming, gunning for any particular number. And the Lord just kind of has shocked me over the last 10 years, including with two sets of twins and how many kids. That yes, that's amazing. So when you and your husband got married, how old were you? One. And was he also on the same page of just God's sovereignty over the, the womb? Yeah, he, uh, I was 22 and he was 25 when we got married. On our second date, I had been engaged to another guy before and we weren't on the same page. It was part of this, part of the reason why we ended up not together, among other things. And he was a great godly guy, but he just wasn't on the same wavelength of that the Lord should be the one that ultimately decides. And so, um, on our second date, my husband's name is Sean. On Sean's and my second date, I turned to him. We were sitting in the car after a concert and he, and I said, you know, there's something you need to know about me. And, uh, I'm sure he was like, Oh, what was she going to say? <laughs> and I said, um, you know, I, I am open to how many kids the Lord has for me. And I know that's a really unusual mindset and not usually what a girlfriend would be telling you on the second date. But, um, this is something that I have a very strong conviction about. And I feel like I already like you, but I don't want to go any further if we're not compatible in this. Um, and I said, you know, I could have like six kids, you know, <laughs> wouldn't that be crazy? 
And um, he told me years later that his brain was stuck on the number eight, which I thought was hilarious. Like he didn't say it at the time where I probably would have been a little bit freaked out as I'm trying to freak him out. Um, <laughs> he comes from a family of three. He's one of three brothers. And so also not a, a particularly giant family. And I don't really know, even when we've had discussions, he's like, I don't know. I just, I just like kids. And I always like the idea of having um, having a full family. So I had no idea what he was going to say. Honestly, seemed like a really great dude, but I figured I would just scare him off, but he wasn't even phased. Wow. I mean, that's like a match made in heaven for sure. If you're dating second date and you're able to drop that bomb and he's like, okay, <laughs> I think I yeah. found the one Lord. <laughs> that was pretty impressive. <laughs> were you guys, did you homeschool from the beginning and were you guys on the same page about that? Or did that come later? We did homeschool from the beginning. Like I said, I was homeschooled, so I'm a second generation homeschooler. Um, at 40, homeschooling was not really it was a it was a new thing. My brother's 44, and my parents were like fighting for the right to homeschool him in Texas, and um, were very active in advocating for the homeschooling community. And so I knew, based on my experience growing up, that I would love for my kids to have a similar experience of freedom of schedule, of freedom of kind of flow. I mean, I remember doing you know, eighth grade spelling with my brother when I was in fourth grade. So we were four years different, but my mom was like, you know what? You're eighth grade level spelling. So we're going to do, you just have so much flexibility. You have so much ability to, to tailor things to what your kids need and um, to do all kinds of cool things during the day. My, my best friend and I would wake up super early some mornings at five and get all of our independent work done. And then we would go downtown in our little square and we would um, hang out at the library because that's what the cool homeschool kids do. Oh yeah. And the librarians were like, I mean, this is, this is 30 years ago. So the librarians were like, what are you doing out of school? Like, you know, you're truant. We're like, no, we're homeschooled. I promise we already did our math and I don't think they believed us, but that was okay. (laughs) And uh, we'd go visit the little soda shop and go visit the little Hallmark shop and look at cards. I mean, we were wild and crazy girls. Oh man. And, um, but I just, I just loved the slow, the slower pace or the faster pace, depending on what you needed. Mm Um, I went to college early. I went to college at 15 and graduated at 19 and started teaching high school Spanish to kids that were like a year younger than I was. So I just kind of wasn't ever locked into kind of a conventional schooling Mm -hmm. mindset and had been given the opportunity to to seek out other ways of doing things. And I wanted that for my kids. And so Sean graduated from a small public school and wasn't opposed to public school or private school because I've taught high school at public school, private school. And a homeschool co-op as well as homeschool my own children. because So I've kind of seen the whole gamut of schooling options. And Sean wasn't opposed to um, public school, was kind of intrigued by the concept of homeschooling. But he was like, you are going to be the one primarily bearing this load. Mm-hmm. And we will give it a shot. And he loves it now. He's very behind it. Wow. So my older brother's 40. I'm 30. No, he's 39. I'm 36. And so we, I was also homeschooled and mm-hmm. now homeschooling my boys. And I know exactly what you're talking about. Like we would go outside and play and the neighbors would call CPS on us like yeah. multiple times and they would come over and my parents are like, we homeschool, you know, and they just didn't, they thought we were the craziest family, eight kids and we're all out on the driveway. And so we had to have some boundaries. My mom's like, okay, backyard until like 2 PM. Then you can play in the yeah. front yard. Like, yeah. We yeah. had some crazy neighbors, but I remember those days, but I, I totally with you. I love the flexibility 
of it too with my boys and just, yeah, the freedom to choose curriculum and tailor the homeschooling for each kid and customize it, get everything done early and go have fun, like all about it. But it's still a lot of work and it still consumes a lot of your time. And so I'm wondering, and I'm sure everybody listening, a mom of 10 who homeschools, how in the world do you have time for this interview right now? (laughs) (laughs) Well, a couple of reasons. One, uh, we are a part of a homeschool co-op. So for example, my older, my high school students right now are at a homeschool co-op that meets for one day a week or one and a half days if you're in a science or math program and they are. So they're doing science and math this afternoon at their homeschool co-op. My oldest is almost 17. He drives so he can take them there, which that is a whole new world since about a year oh, ago. Yes. Amazing. Um, and then we also hire my mom who homeschooled me and my brother to come two days a week to, um, to help out with anything that needs help with, whether it's homeschooling or with dishes or vacuuming or like she's planted my entire flower beds. If it weren't for her, I would have nothing in my front yard. Um, wow. she's, she's the green thumb with that. And so, um, just, we've kind of had this unconventional system where she comes a couple of days a week for several hours and does whatever needs doing. And we're just very kind of intuitive with each other at this mm-hmm. point. Um, and she's very servant hearted. So that works a lot. I will say though, that like I do my own podcast on Tuesdays and I do that because my kids are either in, that's the day they do homeschool co-op all day and it's a drop-off co-op. I've done both. I've done the one where I stayed there and taught and we are in a Mm -hmm. drop-off co-op this year. And, um, and then I come home and I, um, put my younger kids down for a nap after I teach fitness classes in the morning sometimes. And so I do that and then I come down and put them down for naps and then I do my own podcast. So I guess the short answer would be that I have independent older kids working and I have or gone for co-op and then I have kids who take really good naps that we kind of have set very, um, mm-hmm. very good with nap rhythm that makes that work. That makes sense. So you know when your pockets of time are. You know when you can jump on an interview because yeah, it's all planned. very planned out. What are yeah. the ages of the kids oldest to youngest right now? So uh, 17 in May, so 16 now, 15, they're 18 months apart, 12, two 10-year-olds. I have 10-year-old twin girls, um, eight, six, four. They all just had birthdays, so they're all lined up, and two-year-old twin boys. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. Give us a snapshot of a day in the life with Abby and kids. What does that look like? Yeah, sure. So we, um, I get up between six and six thirty and do personal Bible reading and answer some DMS. And, uh, I usually have a buddy or two with me, my three-year-old, nope, just turned four. My four-year-old is usually getting up around the same time. Maybe I'll get 10 or 15 minutes completely by myself, but he's usually sitting beside me or getting breakfast or I give him breakfast and uh, he doesn't get his own breakfast. And uh, <laughs> I was going to say, wow, teach us your training yeah, tricks on yeah. that one. <laughs> um, get him some breakfast and he gets going on that or playing with toys beside me. And then um, around seven, um, we start filtering kids downstairs. By 730, we're doing family Bible reading led by my husband. He works from home, but he's in his office from eight to five. And so we do uh, family Bible reading between 730 and eight. While I'm making breakfast, whoever wants what I'm making gets the breakfast that I make. I don't make necessarily breakfast for everybody because I just provide the groceries for the breakfast. And so if I'm making something that they want, then I make it for anybody that wants it. And then they come in, finish making their breakfast. Um, I teach fitness classes four mornings a week. One of those is when they are at homeschool co-op. So three mornings a week, I'm getting ready to head out between eight and nine. Um, I get them going on their um on their math. 
And then I head out with the three youngest, which is a huge blessing for everyone involved because they are they they are a lot of energy and a lot of um, opening cupboards in the refrigerator and pulling things Mm -hmm. out, all that. That's the phase that we're in. And so we go to the gym, I teach a class, I come home and answer any questions that need answering. Um, the, you know, the older kids are at a place where if a younger kid has a math question, they can quickly go over and be like, oh, this is how it's done. Um, but getting them set up going. And so I either come back, either my mom has, is kind of coming in around the same time that I get back if it's one of the days that she comes or I come back and we get um, going, we finish up with math start on language arts, somewhere in there, um, I'll make lunch for all the little kids. The older kids are very independent, but they're homeschool co-op at this point. Um, I was the same way. I My mom trained me to manage my time, to manage my schoolwork, to, um, to read and think for myself. Mm-hmm. And so while she was there and teaching me and absolutely guiding me, it wasn't like when I was 12 years old or 14 years old, she was sitting right beside mm-hmm, me, like, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's how it should be. We should be teaching our kids to be independent learners and then yeah. to be available to them to be their guide as opposed to their, you know, right at their elbow tutor. Yes. And so um, so I have older kids that are that have their work assigned from co-op that are working on that. They come in and make their own lunches. Sometimes we'll do read-alouds or like listen to a book during lunch if everybody's all in the same. Um, we have an open plan kitchen and living room all in the same space together. And then I'll put... My youngest three down for naps, um, finish up homeschooling with my middle kids down, check in on my older kids, see if they need anything from me. We do U.S. history with my teenagers. They'll come in and mm. they'll um, narrate for me in the afternoons, flip a load of laundry, um, maybe sit down and read with some of the middle kids. Um, if they've got something they're reading to me or I'm reading like a read aloud with them specifically, because sometimes we have different read alouds going different age groups that mm-hmm. are reading different things. Um, usually around three 30, everybody's done with their work for sure. Usually before then, but, but for sure by then, and we'll do group read alouds and fold laundry. That's my mom hack of the century. I'm telling you. That is awesome. We don't fold laundry anymore, which is actually, I don't know. It kind of makes me sad because laundry is such a mindless task. You know, I used to listen to a book or watch, you know, Sense of Sensibility mm-hmm. or something like that in the background. And now I read to my kids and they fold laundry. And then um, they'll take the baskets <laughs> and put them away. I'll start on dinner prep and um, get dinner going. We're usually eating around 6, 630, somewhere around there. So there's plenty of playtime in there. We haven't, you know, read aloud that entire time. So they're out on the trampling. They're running in the front yard. They're playing Foursquare. Um, we don't do any screen time before 3 p.m., and we have a penny reward system that they pay pennies for, for their screen time. Yes. And so if they've got pennies, they might get 15 or 30 minutes of something in the afternoons. Um, my littles are waking up from naps around this time. So somewhere between 3.30 and 4 usually. And um, they're running around and playing. It's just, you know, kind of happy chaos for a while. Mm-hmm, not, mm-hmm. I guess that's not the right word, but just, you know, just energy. Life, life yeah. Energy. Yeah. So uh, we'll do dinner between six and six 30. We kind of really protect the dinner space. We do that together Mm -hmm. four to five times a week um, and try not to schedule anything on top of that, that we don't have to, or at least for not for long seasons. Maybe if we've got six weeks of soccer or something like that, we'll, Mm -hmm. but we don't keep it going all year round. And um, then a lot of times in the evenings, we are either just hanging out 
together as a family. We might watch an episode of All Creatures Great and Small together. And bedtime routines are short and sweet because we have read together, played together, you yes. know, done all the things together. So brush teeth, give hugs and kisses, get drinks, go potty, because very likely right before bed, we've, we've just read something again. Um, so I'm not necessarily going from room to room reading to kids. Um, the little bitty ones... I'll go to the four-year-old's room and sit with him and pray with him. Um, but we've just done a lot. I mean, homeschool moms are they have yes. a lot of touch points with kids throughout right. the day that we've been doing. Um, my older kids go to bed between 9.30 and 10, and they are up with us, talking to us, hanging out, finishing their chores. We have two cleaning uh, times a day, so I didn't mention that. So right after breakfast, we do mm. a family cleanup, and right after dinner, we do a family cleanup. And we assign the same jobs for, like, years at a time. So everybody Oh, wow. Yeah, like literally, um, they become an expert in what it yes. is that they're doing. And then um, if somebody's gone that night, then we pick up the slack and somebody else takes that mm. job. Um, and then in the evenings, my husband and I will read or talk or we used to watch shows and I just, I can't stay awake anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, come on. You're not that old. <laughs> it's not the old. It's the level of of activity. I'm just uh, by that point. So I have to yes. be doing something that's not, you know, like completely sitting still or mm-hmm. else I, I will be out. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, that is a full day morning till night. It is go, go, go. When do you and your husband get quality time? It sounds like at night you have a little bit. Do you sometimes go to your room and the older kids do their thing? And does it work like that sometimes? Or when yeah, do you guys yeah. get quality time? So um, people are always so scandalized, which is hilarious to me because uh, we're married and we have 10 kids. Right. But we- we shower together in the evenings. So like we literally say, y'all finish your evening routines. We're going to go take a shower. We'll be back down in, you know, 20 minutes or whatever. And um, so we've built two houses together. My husband has done like 90% of the framing. Well, he's done all of the framing with his, um, with his dad, my father-in-law, who's also very mm-hmm. handy. And, um, and he has like custom created everything for our house twice. Wow. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, he's a software developer by trade, but is just very talented with his hands as mm-hmm. well. So definitely a Renaissance man. And so we specifically planned for two shower heads in this current build that we're in that we've been in for six years. Because uh, we were like, this is where this is kind of our sanctuary. We can talk to each other yes. and stand face to face and like you know, debrief the day. So we do that a lot of nights. Um, we also have a standing date night on Thursday nights that we've done since before we had kids. Uh, we would do it at home when we had little kids. I would plan for naps to be earlier, for like everything to be bumped back 30 mm. minutes to an hour. And then they would go to bed earlier because they didn't know the difference, you know. Right. <laughs> and um, and we would have either takeout that I brought home after teaching a class or something easy like a charcuterie board. And um, we would just hang out on the couch and watch shows and talk and make out and all that good stuff. Yes. And, um, and then because he works from home, he's in his office from eight to five. But if there's something I need to talk to him about, I can definitely go tap on his door and see if we can have a quick discussion about something. Sometimes he comes out for lunch. We don't see him at lunch every single day. I would say probably maybe only once or twice a week at mm-hmm. most. Um, because he's just kind of going on all his mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but I do feel like we end up, you know, just, just touching base at certain points and just having good conversations. Um, like this morning we had to go get an appointment done for our twin boys and we rode together because we have older kids that can be home with younger kids for a little while, mm-hmm. you know? 
And, um, and they're very responsible at this point, which again, that's a whole new phase of parenthood and marriage. And so we were just riding in the car. We didn't go do anything quote unquote special, but we just like talking to each other. So, you know, that felt like, that felt like a little date. Yes. Do you guys still do the weekly Thursday night dates to this yeah, day? Going out tonight. Yep. Oh, that's so exciting. Do you go out more now that you have a lot of kids at home? Yes. Okay. Now we go out because if we didn't go out, our older kids would be like, <laughs> so what are we doing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. What are we all going to watch together? Like, mm, exactly. no, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that well, is and, so cool. And we have, we have structured it so that our older kids really enjoy date night too. So yes, they're watching the little bitty kids for about an hour and a half. We, we head out between 5.30 and 6 and the little kids go to bed around 7. Um, on date nights, they're usually going to bed a little bit later, but on date nights, 7, 7.30 mm. is kind of the max. And um, so they watch them for about an hour and a half. And then they know that we're going to like keep ice cream in the fridge for them. Oh, or yes. we're keep ingredients for them to make something. They make dinner that night. Um, but that's something they really enjoy, like homemade pizza or um, and that they're going to get to watch a show. We don't have just a wide range of approved shows, but there's they're going to get to watch something. And that's something to look forward to for them, because that's kind of an unusual like, oh, we get to do. Yeah. Our thing. So yes. they, there have been a couple of times when either we've been tired or the week has been especially crazy. And we've been like, we don't know if we're going this week. <laughs> Kids are like, go! Oh, <laughs> they want you. Like, get out of here. We're gonna have our party. Come on. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna, really gonna, smart, though. They have the routine a, too, and they enjoy it. So, yeah, that's so fun to make it like fun for them. So everybody gets a little bit of an experience, yeah. like time together. Yeah. Okay, switching gears because I want to get to your book. I am almost done with it, and it has been such an encouragement to me. My journey to motherhood has been very unique in that my husband and I were married for ten years. We got married with the same kind of mindset, you know, just op- like whatever the Lord has for us, we're open to. I'm from a big family. I wanted a big family, and God had very different plans for us. So I had to learn how to surrender my dreams of motherhood, of what I thought my life would look like, of what I wanted or thought God had for me, which was a big family, to a decade of infertility and recurrent pregnancy loss, and then God redirecting our path down the path of adoption, adopting two boys from Ukraine who we couldn't even speak English to, and they were Mm -hmm. 10 and 6, and so we skipped the baby phase altogether and just got these older boys, and it's been amazing, but it's been such a journey, and so I'm kind of like, I'm a new mom, I'm like almost two years old mom, but with kids that are now 12 and 8, so it's been very exciting. Thankfully, they can speak English now, so we can talk, which is awesome, but your book has been such an encouragement to me, and I have kind of a unique journey. And so I know any woman, like I said in the intro, even if you're single, why not get prepared? Why not plan ahead and start learning and growing and what it means to be a Christ-like mother? So that's just a huge plug for your book. Everybody needs to go grab it. But I want to hear from you. M is for Mama, A Rebellion Against Mediocre Motherhood. Why did you write it? Oh, goodness. I think probably um, the biggest push to write that particular book came from this bit that I do every Wednesday called What Do You Want to Know Wednesday? I do it on my social media and people submit questions. And um, I just kept seeing these recurring themes mm-hmm. of mom guilt and self-care and um, loss of identity and motherhood. And what does the Bible have to say? Like, is there anything useful in there for me? Like, I, I don't know how you would find time to read your Bible. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so sleep deprived. You know, has the Lord forgotten about me? What about, um, what about media? How I just, de- how do I decide, you know, how do I, how do I have the talk with my kids? And so um, it became really evident that the current kind of narrative around motherhood was failing women. 
mm-hmm. that the cultural narrative that the way you're going to get through is wine and numbing your brain and complaining and venting mm-hmm. and kind of, kind of either coasting or, or, or sleeping through mm-hmm. the really hard parts of motherhood, um, Netflixing your way through, you know, and just. Yes hoping that you can just hang on long enough to make it till hopefully they're self-sufficient enough to stop bothering you so much. And and maybe that seems like an overstatement, but if we've watched very many memes on social mm-hmm. media, we've probably run across a whole lot of things that are talking about how, hey, I gave my kid the middle finger behind my back today because he's just such a blankety blank. And so many comments saying, Oh, me too. They're the worst. Yeah. It's so awful. You know, my 10 year old is driving me bonkers. Anybody else. And there seems to be almost this cry of if someone will just validate how hard this is, then it will make it better. But the problem is mm-hmm. validation of negativity, validation of how we're all in the pit together doesn't actually raise us out of the pit. And I truly yeah. believe that only the strength that we are able to receive in our um, in our relationship with Christ mm-hmm. is what does that ultimately. And that bootstrapping our way and that um, striving for excellent mother- motherhood in our own strength will always end in burnout and will always end in frustration. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to say, what does the Bible have to say about this? Is there any hope there? And boy, I already knew there was, but just in diving into these questions that were just repeated over and over again every week, it became so evident that not only does scripture have an answer, it has the answer. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of what you're seeing in that book is coming straight from the mouths of women who were desperate for something more than mm. just um, the stinks. You two, yeah. you think the same thing, you know? And right. so, and I feel like that's what I'm calling mediocre motherhood, not because mm. I can't be mediocre. We're all mediocre without Christ, right. but because the concept mm-hmm. of kind of going under with everybody, Hey, look, we're all in this together going under was just not enough. And yeah. that is mediocre. And, and, Jesus calls us to something more, and then he equips us to go there. That's the best part. It's not like someone saying, hey, just get up off the ground and, and do better. You know, it's it's grace, but mm-hmm. also a call to do better that is enabled through the Holy Spirit's strength. Yes. So well said. <clears throat> Early on in your book, you talk about how relatability isn't the gold standard for mm-hmm. motherhood and those memes. And I was just cracking up with what some of those memes are. I'm like, I've, I see all of this, what you're talking about on social media. And I came across this article that's actually from last year, um, but I wanted to get your take on it because this idea of like, we're just losing it as moms and we're just kind of losing our brains and we need to vent, we need to let it out. We're all in this together kind of mindset is so common, is so popular, even in a lot of Christian circles. And so I thought you would get a kick out of this and I kind of want to get your reaction to it. So it's maybe you've heard of it, but it was from the Today Show. They wrote this article by Chrissy Callahan and the title is Meet the Moms Who Gather in a Field to Scream. Have you heard of this? I have not. Okay. So just I'm going to read a short snippet. She said the article begins, sometimes you just have to scream a little bit to feel better. And that's exactly what one group of Massachusetts moms is doing to release some stress. On a recent January night, Sarah Harmon, a mental health therapist, yoga teacher, founder of School of Mom, gathered a group of local moms for a screaming session in a giant field that would muffle the sound. And she says, I was educating them about anger and how to and how underneath anger, there's so much more emotion, there's sadness, there's anxiety, there's fear, there's resentment, and they had a place to put it now. Harmon initially bought, thought of the idea, the screaming session, casually while talking to clients, and they loved it. So she planned the first event in March of last year. 
Recently, her clients were hungry for more, so Harmon planned another screaming session. And here's what they scream about. So she said, we all get together to let it out as moms. And she leads them through five rounds of screaming. This is a real thing. This is not a joke. Round one is regular screams. Round two is screaming profanity. Round Mm. three is a scream for all, is a free scream. So you just scream out. Round four is you scream in honor of everyone who wasn't available to come that night to scream. And then round five is a screaming contest. So which mom can scream the loudest? And the article concluded, hopefully this message is for people to give them permission to let it all out. So what's your take on that? (laughs) I think that that makes sense from a Mm -hmm. perspective of temporal hope of needing something as a fix. Mm -hmm. I think there's a whole chapter called the gentleman's challenge where I talk about the addictive nature of anger Mm -hmm. and how the more that we quote, let it all out, the better we feel momentarily because it's almost like a dopamine high or it it isn't almost, it actually is. Um, Sometimes anger can raise our serotonin levels and make us feel empowered. And um, like we have just done something really brave, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and really effective. And then probably most moms can relate to that crash afterwards Mm -hmm. when we feel regret. Now I realize that these women probably don't necessarily experience just that because they haven't screamed at someone in rage and maybe said unkind words to them. And yet the, the, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4.29 to let no unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, mm. that we are not to engage with filth, that as Christian wives and moms and friends and sisters and um, sojourners with Christ, mm-hmm. that we are not to have blessing and cursing coming out of the same mouth says, my brothers, this, why, you know, this shouldn't be, this is wrong. And so while I wouldn't expect a secular mom necessarily to relate to that, to hold herself to that standard, I would say that as Christian moms, we are called to something more. And the good thing is that we are called to something that never runs dry. We are called to the well of living water in Jesus to which we can return daily, but it doesn't ever end up being a fix it is constantly there, constantly available to us. We don't have to go stand in some field and scream our heads yes. off. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us at any given moment who actually gives us the ability to physically bite our tongues if need be. And, and in the Gentleness Challenge chapter, I talk about the concept that the more I bit my tongue, not the more I let myself loose, mm-hmm. the more I realized that my emotions were coming under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and I was actually feeling less and less frustrated. Mm-hmm. So I guess my response to that is while I understand the um, the appeal of the release, I understand the appeal of the immediate relief right. and feeling like you can't take it anymore and you're under too much pressure and you have to explode. I don't think it's the ultimate answer. Yeah. And we all, anyone listening, <laughs> me included, we've had those moments where we just feel like screaming, like this is going to be the answer. This is going to just get it all out of there. But it's not a long-term solution. And it's definitely not getting after the heart. And it's obviously not what we see in scripture. So how can we as moms, and I'm thinking of a lot of young moms, new moms who are listening, how can we become moms who aren't listening to this rhetoric from culture, who aren't reading these articles and thinking, oh, that sounds like a pretty good idea, but rather going to scripture, going to God's word and being moms who are looking for truth in scripture to guide our feelings, guide our thoughts, guide how we parent as moms every day. 
Sure. Well, I think one of the things that we have to be honest with ourselves about is how we're spending our time. Mm -hmm. Social media is so addictive and it is so available. We can Mm -hmm. hold it in the palms of our hands. So I always encourage moms, if you find yourself going back over and over again to accounts that are leading you down a path of discontentment, of anger, of negativity, of um, that mindset of I am entitled to vent yeah. At any given moment of any day, because this is this is just too much. Um, instead of the mindset of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is one of the most misused verses in the Bible. But what it's telling you that you can do is you can have contentment in every mm. circumstance, whether your newborn is sleeping or whether they wake up 15 times a night. As a mom, as a mom to uh, two sets of twins, I literally had my last set of twins waking up sometimes on opposite schedules five times each. And, and yet, even though I didn't love that part, as someone who had done it so many times, the Lord gave me so much supernatural, just kind of, um, contentment in that. Again, I don't want to, I don't want to sugarcoat things because man has my child waking up in the middle of the night made me really angry. Sometimes you're like, just yes, ready. Don't you understand? I have to get up and do this whole day. No, of course they don't understand. And they don't care. Yes. They're not the least bit interested in your convenience <laughs> or your rest. And that can feel so personal sometimes. Mm. But I think we have to be, um, I think we have to be honest about how we're spending our time and who we're letting influence us and say, this feels good in the moment, but ultimately is really unfruitful and unhelpful in the long run. And I need to unfollow these people. I need to put my phone in the other room and let it charge so that I'm not constantly going back to it like a moth to a flame that's getting burned Mm up. Um, I need to do practical things like have lar bars close by or apples or something or a protein shake so that when I feel myself starting starting to get jittery in the middle of math and my blood sugar is dropping, that I don't just let myself explode, but instead I go to the pantry, I close the door for two minutes and I eat my lar bar and I return to sanity. Um, you know, I need just really to, practical stuff even. Yeah. yeah. I need scripture cards yeah. on my, mm. on my windowsill in my kitchen so that I can look at the words, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth and think that applies to me, not just yes. to my kids. And I'm going to literally bite my tongue. Mm-hmm. And I will be so grateful in 10 minutes that I did not passive aggressively call them out or say something really unkind and sarcastic because I won't have to repent of it. And then when we have gotten to the point of losing our cool, we need to be willing to apologize. Like I think there is so much joy and sweetness mm-hmm. that can come from being vulnerable and honest with our kids and saying, Hey, I messed up, but the Lord is gracious to forgive me. Will you do the same? You know, I think we can learn a whole yeah. lot from our imperfections in how much the father loves us and is so ready and willing to forgive us for them. Mm, just renewing our mind. It's just renewing Absolutely. our mind daily with truth. Yeah. You hit on a very hot button topic. You mentioned it earlier, um, but I know people are going to want to hear more about this. And I really appreciated your section on this in the book, but you you talk about self-care, which is a very popular, very trendy phrase. And it's really pushed on moms, I feel like a lot to say, you need this, you must have this, and it must look like this. You deserve this. You're entitled to this. If you don't get it, you should be mad. And you talk about self-care versus soul care. Can you unpack that for us? Yeah, sure. So I feel like exactly what you just said Mm -hmm. is part of the reason why moms feel like they are getting the raw end of the deal. Mm -hmm. When you are told this is a list of things that you should be getting 
And yet you are in a season of life where many of those things are not reasonable expectations, at least on a regular basis, whether it's pedicures or wine nights with girlfriends or uninterrupted time to watch your show Mm -hmm. or eating without someone sitting on you and taking all your food, like even some basic life, you know, necessities, um, you, you start to resent the very source of that deprivation instead Mm -hmm. of seeing it for what it is, which is a crucible, seeing it for what it is, which is as an opportunity to lean into Jesus' strength, seeing it for what it is as the opportunity to grow. We say all the time, if, I mean, you've probably heard this somewhere, if you ask for patience, what's going to happen? And I tell mm. my kids all the time, you told me you wanted to get better at this. So here's an opportunity to practice. Yep. So we have to ask ourselves, do I want a pedicure Boy, people aren't going to like this question, but I'm going to say it. Do I want a pedicure more than I want to be holy? Mm, that hits now, close to home for me because I love a good pedicure. <laughs> I do too. I do too. And there's going to be someone that's, she's shaming for me. No, no, I'm getting a pedicure right. with my best friend tomorrow. This is not about right. pedicures. This is not about facials. This is not about naps. This is not about um, watching an episode of something. Mm-hmm. It is about our heart attitude and whether we feel like we have a right, like you said, to be angry if that opportunity is snatched from us by our inconvenient children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. These kids that keep getting in my way. (laughs) Yes, but they please just leave me alone to do what I want. Right? Mm -hmm. And yet, how many times have we as as moms, if we're being honest, if if we're being in tune with the Holy Spirit... Taken those times when we were so disappointed that we didn't get to do that thing. I mean, think about that weekend away with your husband that somebody started puking mm-hmm. right before you were supposed to leave. And it is so hard not to be personally offended by the nerve of the shower yes. for getting stomach bug and puking on your cute outfit. And you can't go anywhere. Like no babysitter is going to like, what? It's ruined. It's all gone. You have, you have choices. And what we are told is we have a right, almost an obligation to be bitter about this and that that will help us because it's honest, right? Mm-hmm. All feelings are valid. All feelings are honest. If, if you feel it, therefore, it is who you are. And we actually do always have a choice. We have the opportunity to take the narrow path of choosing to be content in all circumstances because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because that's what that verse is actually saying and saying, how do I turn this weekend around that was going to be this amazing getaway with my husband that I've been waiting for for six months and instead serve my family and be the hands and feet of Jesus, be Jesus with that towel around his waist, washing the the disciples' feet and and actually find joy in it. I don't think we can mm-hmm. in our own strength. Mm-hmm. But if we are looking past self-care, which is not in and of itself an evil, wrong, awful thing, and we definitely do need breaks. And when we have them presented to us, we need to like kick mom guilt to the curb and say, I yes, I will go mm-hmm. to, you know, grocery shop by myself for an hour. Thank you very much. <laughs> like this yes. is this is a fantastic opportunity. I'm not going to feel guilty about this. Thank you so mm-hmm, much for mm-hmm. Because I think that we can definitely tip that direction too, where there's this thing that we pile on our shoulders as if there is something evil about ever being away from our kids or ever getting breaks or ever taking a moment. We see so many examples of Jesus taking opportunities to rest. And that is good. 
and the Lord has made it clear that our rest in him is so important. But we also see that when Jesus' rest was interrupted, that he did not react with anger and that he did not react yeah. with feelings of entitlement and irritation. Instead, he welcomed people in. And I'm sure sometimes it was like, okay, you know, I was mm-hmm. hoping for another day with, I mean, he's sovereign. He's good. He's omnipotent. He knows everything. I know that. But from a human perspective, I'm sure there were times that he was hoping for another hour or two without yes. being asked to heal somebody. And yet his response was so gracious. And we use Mm -hmm. that as our model, not the model of the world, which says, Mm -hmm. girl, you deserve. Yes, Jesus. Yeah. Talk about an incredible example. Not only, yeah, he's God. He's God and he's serving and pouring himself out, but then modeling that rest as well. That's so good. Okay. We don't have very much time left, but I want to get to another hot button topic, um, which is something that I think many of us wrestle with this feeling of we need to have an identity that is greater and bigger and better than the identity of motherhood or the season of motherhood. And I, I've talked to so many women. I feel this tension in myself and in friends that I talk to of, you know, well, I'm, I'm just a mom. You know, if you don't have any other career outside work, like I'm just a mom. And it's almost like it's not enough. You're kind of a loser if you're just a mom. And so can we talk about this for a second? Because in your book, you talk about motherhood as a profession. And I loved the way that you phrase this. And in your book, you were even like, you know, I'm probably going to offend some people when I say this, but I just want to read a quote from the book. You said, if you are already a mother, then no other profession that you can claim during your primary season of mothering can trump that of your job as a mama. Why? Because nothing else has the potential to impact the everlasting souls of the precious humans who have been entrusted to you and to no one else. Unpack that for us. (laughs) <laughs> just so, a little and get the book guys but get the book because we're not going to be able to do it justice here but give us your best <laughs> sure yeah so I actually started the blog MS for Mama after having a blog with a different name because I uh, walked into this little shop and ended up not even meaning to coming out with an M uh, disc Aww. that I'm wearing around my neck I know the people that are just listening can't see that but I'm holding it up and I sat in the car like why did I even just buy this M and the Lord was really convicting my heart that as a former high school Spanish teacher as a fitness instructor as a blogger I was finding more validation in people's oohs and ahs over those professions mm-hmm. than I was in the one that was actually going to have a lasting impact mm-hmm. on souls for eternity not only of the ones that were in my home but for the ones that they would then raise and then that I mean the the impact is literally eternal not only yeah. because our children um, have eternal souls, but because they have a generational outpouring that we are just planting seeds for, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was so convicted. And so I started wearing this M around my neck, just as a reminder that no, this is not your only identity. This is not the highest calling in the world. This is not more sanctified and holy than being single, than Mm -hmm. being a missionary. That I think that we can actually tip into that and start saying, well, motherhood is actually the best calling that there is. It's like the pinnacle of the female Christian, but it's not. Yeah. Exactly. But if you are already a mother, Mm then the Lord has made it very clear that whatever you do, whether you mother, whether you're single, whether you eat or drink, whether you, you know, have a full-blown profession or a side job, you are to do it all as unto the Lord, to the glory of God. And when we start shunting aside motherhood as a just kind of thing, instead of looking at it with the same air of excellence that we would high school Spanish or fitness instructing or blogging or um, being a pharmacist, 
or, you know, whatever it is, being a baker or whatever that we would find our identity in elsewise, we are missing an incredible opportunity to do something as unto the Lord. Mm. And we are probably not treating it with the kind of professional excellence that we would if we were getting a paycheck. And that's what I hear back. Yeah, but I don't get a paycheck. But really, ultimately, as unto the Lord doesn't mean as unto a paycheck. It means as unto a well done, good and faithful servant, Mm. which is... I mean, immeasurably more precious than any amount of dollar signs that could ever be on a check. And we have to remind ourselves of this because the world is telling us the exact opposite. The yeah. world is oh, telling yeah. us what you said. The world is saying, unless you have this, you know, this amount of letters at the end of your name, or you're a this, and there's about five things, and then you're a mom mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, unless you have made sure to make your mark on society in some way other than the children that you will bring into it. You are not valid. You are laughable, kind of you're, you're demeaned in some way. And it's easy to think of ourselves that way. Now there will be someone watching this. That's like, uh, but you write books and you're on a podcast and you have a blog and notice I didn't say anything was wrong with having other pursuits right. and having other things and giftings that the Lord has given us to use. But I will say this. Um, I had wanted to publish a book since I was little bitty, like seven, eight years old. Writing has always been my passion. I've always wanted to be an author. I'm not even a big dreamer, but that would be the dream of my heart that never went away. And I had pretty much resigned myself to only fitting in blogging or, or an hour here of fitness or whatever in between all of those things that I tell you that I do in a day with my kids. And I say resigned in a bad way. I I'd come to a place of contentment with that. And that was um, when I was about 37 years old. And that was the moment when God decided to send me a publisher that mm, wow. was like, I've been following you for three years. I relate to so much of what you say. Have you ever considered writing a book? And I'm like, have I ever considered yeah. writing a book? And then he gave me 2020 at home, pregnant with twins that I was not expecting to have to write that book. So wow. talk about his timing, mm-hmm. his ways not the most convenient way I would have chosen to do it. And yet, um, and yet he worked it out. Mm-hmm. And I just have to, I have to put that plug in for seasons being so important in motherhood for recognizing that if you are a mom of two young children that take up all your time and you're looking at a mom of 10 who has older kids who are helpful, who has a mom that can help, who has um, systems in place that maybe you don't have yet who has figured out schedules and ways of working things that she wouldn't have been able to finagle when she had five kids, six and under. There was no hope of my writing a book at that point. And it wasn't the right timing. The Lord made that so clear that you're comparing, you know, apples to screwdrivers. Mm -hmm. And you have to, you have to recognize that the Lord is the author. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. Um, So while I see this ability to write this book now, and I have another one coming out in the fall to write any more books as a good gift from him. I also see that he has grown my time management. He has grown mm. my discipline. He has grown my affection for my family and my devotion to creating systems that work well. He has created pockets of time I didn't used to have. Like all glory, I'm boasting in Christ because yes. I know that I couldn't have just engineered this on my own without causing my family a lot of grief. Mm-hmm. Whereas now my husband is very on board, very encouraging, loves my ministry. And yet we both agree that it takes second, third, fourth seat to the primary calling that I have right now in yeah. raising all of these souls for his kingdom. 
That's so encouraging to get a peek behind the scenes into your life because I know people do wonder like, well, look at you. You're doing all these other things, but it's in it's in the right order and in the right season. And that's so important to not take a snapshot of another mom and go, but look, because you don't know what's really going on behind the scenes. Okay. Yeah. As we wrap things up, can you expand just a little bit more into you touched on it a little bit, motherhood as a profession, but in the sense of how can we pour, how can I, how can all of my peers, how can we as young moms pour our time into focusing on motherhood as a profession as we would anything else, any other sort of career or job where we want to do it with excellence. We want our boss to be proud of us. We want to make a mark. But then when it comes to to mothering at home, it's kind of like, uh, you know, we give it our last ditch effort, like our worst. We would never do that in the workplace. So how can right. we shift our mindset to view our home more like we would a career? Well, it comes down to how badly you want to feel successful as a mother and how badly you want to honor God and how you mother. Um, if you feel that call for it to be something that you take just as seriously as you would any other profession, you, I encourage you to pray about and to write down the kinds of things that you would like to improve in. I wish that we treated motherhood because it's such a big job. Like it yeah. has so much weight and so much importance and so much um, influence. And yet, like you said, sometimes it gets the dregs of our attention and our efforts and our practice. And I wish that as a society, we were encouraging young moms or young women who were looking forward to being moms to actually practically train in things like meal planning and things like um, habit training for patience and diligence in making our beds in the morning and flipping the laundry every single day. I hear from so many moms who are like, no one ever taught me to have these good habits. And I feel like I'm drowning. I feel like I'm starting from ground zero. And it's so frustrating because guess what? It makes me feel like a failure. And which of us wants to feel like a failure in any area? And yet we're bound to if we aren't um, equipped to do this giant job well. So read books. Follow people who are exhorting you and giving you practical tips. Um, you know, take the time to write down your goals and pray over them and ask the Lord where the priority should be. And then actually take them seriously, just like you would if they were goals in the workplace that you were going to get an add a girl and an employee of the month and a pay, pay raise for. I think that, that that's so good. That's where, that's where the growth happens as long as we're relying on the Lord's strength, because yeah. I think we can grow in the habits but but lose the heart of it really mm-hmm, easily unless mm-hmm. we're like, Jesus, I can't do this without you. I'm not enough. Yes. Amen. And it sounds like my last question was just going to be, how can we intentionally make choices to reject mediocre motherhood and pursue a gospel-centered, Christ-centered view of motherhood just in our day-to-day life? I think that without scripture, you can't. Yeah. And so people get really overwhelmed by studying their Bibles They get really overwhelmed by um, maybe not understanding, maybe not being interested, afraid that it won't speak to them. Um, And they tell me they just cannot spend time on it. And yet they find 30 minutes for TikTok every single day. And so, and and maybe that's not you. Maybe you're like, literally my day is full from start to finish. I really don't have time. Um, I do a lot of Bible reading with babies in my lap. Mm -hmm. I don't think that we should be adhering to this concept of this Instagram worthy quiet time where, you know, the candle and the soft music and the, the coffee's really hot and I don't even drink coffee, but you know, (laughs) Um, 
and that 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 should be our ideal. Instead, we mm. are clinging to Jesus with our fingernails. Yeah. And if we want him bad enough, he hasn't gone anywhere. You know, it's that analogy, I think, of this image of this guy um, driving in the truck and the girl sat beside him, right? When they were dating. Oh, yes, yes. And then years later, she's sitting on the other side of the truck and upset that they're not as close. And he said, I never moved. That's the mm-hmm. word. He is there beside us. He is offering us grace. He is offering us discipline. He is off because it says that he disciplines those that he loves. He disciplines every son and daughter that he loves. And so when we feel that sting of conviction, it's so important not to mm-hmm. run from it and to lean into the hard because hard is not the same thing as bad. Yeah. And he will grow us through it. He will grow our desire for him. He will grow our ability to study. You may start with 10 minutes, but Biblical illiteracy is a huge, Mm -hmm. huge epidemic right now among young Christians or all Christians in some cases. And so I just really, really encourage moms that if this is something you desire to grow in, um, go to God's word. It's why I included almost 200 scriptures in MS for Mama, because I wanted it to be not my words, but the Lord's words primarily. Yes. And I loved at the end of every chapter, how you had that kind of that comparison um, each time to say like, okay, well, this is what worldly motherhood looks like, mediocre motherhood essentially. And then this is what Christ-centered motherhood looks like. Just that snapshot to make it really easy for us to just have that nugget that we walk away with and the scripture and the prayers. And yeah, you did a great job. Thank you for writing this book. You guys go grab a copy of M is for Mama. Get it on audiobook. Just listen to it, read it. it. If you were encouraged by this conversation, then Abby's book takes a deep dive into everything we talked about. Plus I had a whole list of other questions we didn't get to and everything. It's just in the book. So go grab it. Abby, where can people find your book? I'm guessing it's available everywhere. And how can people connect with you? Yeah, available pretty much everywhere that book, yeah. books are sold. And um, you can connect with me on Instagram. That's the main place that I am at m.is.4.mama. msformama.net is my blog. And I actually just started a podcast about a month ago. So you can just search the MS for Mama podcast as well. Yay. Okay. I didn't know that you had started a podcast till you mentioned it earlier in our conversation. I was like, okay, I'm going to check that out as soon as we get off of this conversation. So thank you so much for your time, for your wisdom, for writing this book, launching the podcast, just encouraging moms everywhere to pursue Christ-centered mothering. I am so thankful for it. Oh, you're so welcome. Praise be to God. Wow, what an amazing perspective on motherhood that Abby has. My mind is still blown just thinking about how she goes about her day and and how she's so intentional with 10 kids, like and two sets of twins. I, mean, I don't know about you, but my mind is like like so many times, like so many things that she was saying. I've just got my two boys and, you know, every day when we finish and things went well, I'm like, what a success. And I'm just like praying the next day is good. But so much wisdom. I just appreciate that lady so much. And I know she, you will love her book, guys. Like there were so many questions I couldn't get into where she she gets into the nitty gritty of like how she trains her kids, how she encourages them to be a blessing. She had mentioned the penny system early on in our conversation in her book. She unpacks that penny system system for like reward or consequences. And it's actually really creative and great for like, if you have one kid or 10 kids, just seems like a really easy, great system. I'm considering it actually applying it to my kids. I think they might enjoy it as well. Um, she just gets into a lot of the specifics, um, you know, how to have the birds and the bees talk with your kiddos, like all sorts of stuff in her book that we could not touch on today. So grab a copy of her book, Emma's from Mama. I think you'll find it really encouraging. And then again, if you are like, man, I, this is amazing. Like God has so much wisdom for motherhood, but I don't even know if I have that foundation for womanhood, like understanding my womanhood and my identity as a God-defined woman. I think I'm even missing that. Then you will love reading Girl Defined, God's Radical Design for 
for beauty, femininity, and identity. So definitely grab a copy of that to Amazon on our website, girldefined.com. I think you'll find so much encouragement and just life-changing truth as you understand to reframe your perspective of all things, identity, femininity, beauty, worth, value, purpose, success from a biblical foundation everything else in your life will be um, will just come from that right way of thinking according to God's word. So grab a copy of Girl Defined. And if you appreciated this episode and these kind of conversations, will you please let us know? Let us know. And the best way to do that is by saying, yes, give us a fist bump by dropping a five-star review on Spotify, on Apple. We see those reviews. It really helps our show reach more women and it encourages us personally, you know, day in and day out as we're finding these guests, arranging these episodes, doing the research, reading the books, trying to bring incredible content to you. Um, you know, it takes a couple seconds, like maybe 30, 45 seconds to drop a five-star review, leave a few comments comments and it is a huge encouragement to us. So would you even right now take that quick second to go to Spotify or Apple and do that if you can. Um, Means so much guys. And then come hang out with us. We want to get to know you. We want to be a community of women walking alongside one another, like linking arms in this journey to pursue God. So come hang out with us over on Instagram. That's the primary place where we hang out, have conversation, interact. We try to respond to all DMs if possible. That's our goal. Um, If we haven't responded to you yet, be patient or send us another one, bump it back up so we can see it. But we want to respond and engage over on Instagram at Girl Defined. So come hang out with us there and let's keep this conversation about motherhood going.